In the times of capital punishment, it must have been a terrifying fate in the day prior to your execution to watch the clock tick down, knowing that this time tomorrow you'd be dead. In today's episode, we'll look at the process of execution in the 18th century. Historical Crimes and Criminals podcast. I'm Steve, your host. I'm happy to tell you that Richard Clark, who has a website for 25 years, capitalpunishmentuk.org, has given me permission to use some of his stories. Links to Richard's website can be found on today's show notes. Tyburn's Gallows was the main place of execution for London and Middlesex until 1783. It was also the place where women were burnt for petty treason and high treason and soldiers shot for military offences. High treason was crimes against the crown, i.e. counterfeiting. Petty treason was crimes against your lord or master. And for women, that included husbands. And generally, women that murdered their husbands were burnt to death. There had been gallows at Tyburn since the 11th century, but in 1571, the famous Triple Tree was set up to replace the smaller gallows and was, at least once, used for the hanging of 24 prisoners at once. This was on the 23rd of June, 1649, when 23 men and one woman was executed for burglary and robbery having been conveyed there in eight carts. The gallows consisted of three tall, approximately 18 feet high uprights, joined at the top with beams in a triangular form to provide a triple gallows under which three carts could be backed up at a time. It remained in use until the 18th of June, 1759, where Catherine Nolan, convicted of highway robbery, became its last customer. Thereafter, all executions went to Newgate until its demolition. The structure was removed during the summer as it had become a cause of traffic congestion and was disliked by the resident of what was becoming a very fashionable area of West London. It was replaced by portable gallows, which were first used on the 3rd of October, 1759, for the hanging of four men, as reported in the Whitehall Evening Post of that day. It stood near the junction of Bryanston Street and Edgware Road and was dragged into position by horses for each execution. The condemned were still transported to Tyburn from Newgate and the last execution took place on November 1783 when John Austin was hanged for highway robbery. But let's look at these cases from sentencing to hanging. Criminals were tried at the Old Bailey and then sentenced to death in groups at the end of each sessions before being returned to Newgate to await their fate. 
Prisoners were generally hanged in batches, but occasionally, as in the case of Jack Shepherd, who had already escaped several times, a person was hanged alone, but it was unusual due to the expense of it. Jack Shepherd's story is legendary, not because he was a master criminal, but because he was wonderful at escaping, like a Houdini. He's definitely one for a future episode. After 1752, murderers had to be hanged within two days of their sentence, unless this fell on a Sunday, in which case they were executed on the Monday. It was normal for judges to sentence them on a Friday to allow them this extra day. Additionally, they were kept in irons and fed on only bread and water. After the sessions finished, the recorder prepared his report for submission to the King and Privy Council, indicating which prisoners the court felt should hang and which ones should have their sentences commuted, usually to transportation. The King and the Privy Council met in what was called the Hanging Cabinet, which ratified or commuted the death sentences. Those not reprieved would be kept in the condemned areas of Newgate in abysmal conditions and it was not unusual for one or two to die of jail fever or other illnesses before their execution date. We understand jail fever now to be typhus, a bacterial infection which symptoms included severe headache, muscular pain, fever, delirium and characteristic rashes. It was usually transmitted by body lice and it thrived in overcrowded places where the sanitation was poor and immune systems were weakened by hunger. In a notorious case in 1730, prisoners brought to Taunton Assizes caused an outbreak that killed the judge, several court officials and hundreds of others. The prisoners at Newgate were frequently at risk as they were grouped together, often from several sessions, to be taken at Tyburn on the next hanging day, which was eight times a year. These hanging days were increased over the years and they were seen as a bank holiday and a good day out. People would go along, watch the hangings, get very drunk and then wake up the next day with a very, very sore head and they called it a hangover. Women prisoners frequently pleaded their belly, i.e. that they were pregnant. If they were found to be pregnant, they were often respited and usually reprieved. And it wasn't unusual for a woman prisoner to become pregnant by one of the warders. It was normal for better off criminals to wear their best clothes for their hanging match, as the executions were known. St Sepulchre's Church lies across the road from Newgate Prison, i.e. where the Old Bailey now stands. If you were to find yourself in the condemned cell of Newgate Prison in the 18th century, the St Sepulchre's Church sexton at midnight would ring a bell and utter the words to every prisoner in the prison the night before they were sent to their deaths at Tyburn. All you in the condemned hole do lie, prepare you, for tomorrow you shall die. 
Watch all and pray the hour is drawing near that you before Almighty God will appear. Examine well yourselves and time repent that you to eternal flames be sent. And when St. Sepulchre's bell tomorrow tolls, the Lord above have mercy on your souls. The idea was to try and help the prisoners repent before having their necks stretched. The execution procession would begin about 7am when the condemned men and women would be led in fetters, handcuffs and leg irons into the press yard in Newgate. Here, the blacksmith would remove the fetters and the yeoman of the halter would tie the criminal's hands in front of them with a cord around the body and the elbows so that they would be able to pray when they reached Tyburn and place the rope around their necks, coiling the free end around their bodies. A typical condemned group might comprise of seven men, not one convicted of murder or rape, but of crimes such as highway robbery and various forms of theft and burglary, and perhaps one woman convicted of privately stealing, highway robbery, or stealing from a dwelling house. When the pinion was completed, they were placed in an open horse-drawn carts, sitting in their coffins, surrounded by armed cavalry. The procession consisting of the city marshal, a court officer responsible for the prisoners, the ordinary, Newgate's prison chaplain, the hangman and his assistants, a troop of javelin men started out for Tyburn, which was about two and a half miles away. The procession made its slow and bumpy passage along Holborn, St Giles and Tyburn Road, which is now called Oxford Street, to Tyburn itself, near Marble Arch. The narrow streets would be lined with crowds, especially if the criminals were notorious, and there would often be insults and solid objects hurled at the prisoners and their escorts on the way. Stops were made at two public houses along the way, the Bowl Inn at St Giles and the Mason's Arms in Seymour Place where the condemned would be allowed an alcoholic drink. With a terrible hangover, it's not uncommon for most people to say, I'm getting on the wagon, which means I'm giving up alcohol. But what it actually means is, you're on the wagon, you've drank your last drink, and you're going to be hanged at Tyburn. On arrival at Tyburn, around noon, some two or three hours after they'd left Newgate, the prisoners were greeted by a large crowd of anything up to 100,000 people who'd come to watch the spectacle. It was essentially a carnival, and amongst the crowd were hawkers selling food and souvenirs and people selling copies of broadsides purporting to contain the prisoners' last dying speeches and confessions of the condemned. There were also plenty of pickpocket taking advantage of the mass crowd, but knowing if they would get caught, it would be them up there on the next hanging day. Wealthier spectators hired seats in Mother Proctor's pews, an open gallery 
like modern grandstands at a football stadium. The seat with a good view was much sought after and very expensive. Two shillings was a lot of money back then. The poor just milled around the gallows, held back by the javelin men. There was a house overlooking Tyburn with iron balconies from which the sheriffs of the City of London and under-sheriff of Middlesex plus invited guests watched these executions. The carts were each backed under one of the three beams in the gallows. The hangman uncoiled the free end of the rope from each prisoner and threw it up to one of his assistants positioned precariously on the beam above. They tied the rope to the beam, leaving very little slack. The ordinary would pray with the prisoners, and when he had finished, the hangman pulled nightcaps over the faces of those who'd brought them. As you can imagine, the preparations took some time where a large batch of prisoners were being hanged. And when everything was ready, the horses were whipped away, pulling the prisoners off the carts and leaving them suspended. They would only have a few inches of drop at the most, and thus many of them would writhe in convulsive agony for some moments, their legs paddling in the air, dancing the Tyburn jig as it was known, until unconsciousness overtook them. If well compensated, the hangman, his assistants, and sometimes the prisoner's relatives would pull on the prisoner's leg to hasten their end. But the general rule was, the lighter you were, the longer it took you to die. It was not unknown for the occasional person to survive their hanging. One of the most famous cases is that of John Smith, hanged on Christmas Eve, 1705. Having hung for 15 minutes, the crowd began to shout, Reprieve! Whereas he was cut down and taken to a nearby house, where he soon recovered. He was asked what it was like to be hanged, and this is what he told his rescuers. Quote, I was, for some time, sensible of very great pain, occasioned by the weight of my body, and felt my spirits in strange commotion, violently pressing upwards. Having forced their way to my head, I saw a great blaze or glaring light that seemed to go out of my eyes in a flash, and then I lost all sense of pain. After I was cut down, I began to come to myself, and the blood and the spirits forced themselves into their formal channels and put me into such intolerable pain that I would wish those hanged would cut me down. Another case is that of 16-year-old William Jewell, who was hanged along with four others in November 1740. He had been convicted of raping and murdering Sarah Griffin and was therefore to be anatomised after execution. After execution, he was taken to Surgeon's Hall and it was noted it was shown signs of life. He was revived and returned to Newgate later that day. The authorities decided to reprieve him and his sentence was commuted to transportation. 
but generally, after half an hour or so, the lifeless bodies were cut down and claimed by friends or relatives, or sent for dissection at Surgeon's Hall. Prior to the Murder Act of 1752, surgeons were allowed 10 bodies per year. After that, they got the bodies of all the murderers as well. Wealthy criminals provided coffins for themselves. The poorer ones could not afford these, and it was not unusual for their friends or relatives to sell their bodies for dissection. The clothes of the executed belonged to the hangman, and therefore some prisoners wore only their cheapest, oldest clothes, while others dressed to look their best for their final performance. In the case of notorious criminals, the hangman would sell the rope by the inch, hence the expression, money for old rope. In most cases, the public sympathised with the criminal, except where they had committed a really horrible crime. Elizabeth Brownrigg, who had beaten and starved her apprentice girls to death, was the sort of criminals the public really hated. She was hanged on the 14th of September, 1767. From 1702, hangings were reported in the fledgling press, the Daily Current being the first London daily newspaper, as well as being the execution broadsides. The ordinary's reports of the condemned criminals were also available. Well, that's it for another episode of the Historical Crimes and Criminals podcast. I hope you enjoyed that, and if you did, please subscribe and leave a review. Also, join me on the Twitter page, the Historical Crimes and Criminals podcast. Until next time, I've been Steve, your host. Bye-bye.